morning, everybody. Welcome again to the Oceanside Sanctuary. My name is Jason Coker. I'm the lead pastor here. For those of you who might be new, uh, I want to welcome you. Today, I'm sort of doing double duty, doing the announcements and the teachings. So just a couple of announcements I want to make sure that everybody is aware of. First, if you are new, if this is your first time attending, wherever you might be watching us on Facebook or YouTube, welcome. We're really glad to have you joining us for worship online. If you're new, we'd love to connect with you. And there are a couple of ways that you can do that. The first is if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you can just comment, let us know who you are, let us know how it is that you got connected to the Oceanside Sanctuary. And then if you'd like to get connected to what we're doing, some of the groups and classes that we have going on here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, just go to our website, oceansidesanctuary.org forward slash connect, and that will take you to our online connect card. You can share your name, email address. Let us know what you're interested in, what it is that you would like to be connected to, and our staff will be in touch. We'd love to get you uh, plugged into what's going on at OSC. Second thing I want to make sure you guys know about is we've been announcing for several weeks that we have a brand new group starting up here at the church called Processing Religious Trauma. This is an exciting new group for us. Our church is a congregation that tends to really connect with a lot of folks who were raised in religious traditions that might have been more authoritarian or controlling. And for people who have that experience, they sometimes suffer real harm in those spaces. But oftentimes people want to process that harm. They want to make sense of how they can uh, be healed from some of those hurts. But still remain connected to their faith. Well, this is a group for those of you who are uh, struggling with that tension. It's a six-week therapeutic group experience, and this has been announced in the past as a strictly in-person group, but the facilitators, Stephanie Moss and Janelle Coker, have decided, because several people were requesting it, to go ahead and move this group to Zoom. So for those of you who could not participate because you weren't gonna be able to make the drive to Oceanside on Wednesday nights. Uh, I have really great news for you. This is now gonna be on Zoom. It starts up on Wednesday, February 16th, and you can get our, uh, signed up or you can RSVP for this group by going to OceansideSanctuary.org. And you'll notice right on the homepage, there's a link to uh, sign up for the Processing Religious Trauma Group. Or you can go to the calendar, just go to February 16th on the calendar online. Click on that and you'll have an RSVP form that you can fill out there and get connected. There are four spots left for this group. For those of you who might be interested in joining it, they have maxed this group out at no more than 10 people. So uh, it's not too late for you to sign up, sign up if that's something that you'd like to be a part of. And then the next thing I wanna make sure you guys all know about is we have made the decision, assuming everything continues to go well with COVID cases in the United States, uh, COVID cases are dropping rapidly, and we think that by next week, we will be back down to a case count uh, that is similar to where we were in mid-December when we went back into a lockdown status. So if that proves to be true, if those cases continue to drop dramatically, if we don't have a new variant that develops that is more dangerous, then we are going to be ready to open up for in-person church again next Sunday, February 13th. You are welcome to come here. We are gonna ask you to continue wearing masks until uh, COVID cases continue to diminish and decrease more. But we're looking forward to those of you who feel like you are safe and secure meeting in person 
to go ahead and come here. For the rest of you, if you're still not feeling like you're quite ready to return to in-person church, that's okay. We're going to keep live streaming every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock right here on YouTube and Facebook. So you can join with us either way, whether you want to be here in person or online. And then uh, last but not least, I just want to remind you that our monthly scripture study group called Call and Response is coming up on February 24th at 6.30 p.m. on Zoom. This is where we gather as a church once a month to really dig into the topics that we're studying. And we really approach those studies from a place of dialogue and sometimes debate because that's really how we see scripture unfolding before us. We wanna enter into that dialogue and debate of scripture. And we do that at call and response once a month. This month, we are studying the book of Job, which is uh, not coincidentally what we are studying here on Sunday morning as well. So if you wanna dig a little bit deeper, you can join with that call and response community. Again, you can just go to oceansidesanctuary.org and RSVP there. And then finally, we are, of course, a 501c3 a nonprofit organization. If you would like to make a gift to advance our mission at the Oceanside Sanctuary, you can always just go to our website uh, and click the Give button in the upper right-hand corner. We are appreciative of whatever charitable gifts you can make to help us do what we do here at OSC. So that's all my announcements that I have for you today. I want to transition into our teaching time now by just reminding you that we are deep into a series on wisdom. Several weeks ago, as we came out of our holiday season, uh, I said that Christianity is essentially a wisdom tradition, that we are learning to embody the, what is good and righteous and true about our faith. And that understanding of living out our uh, faith is essentially what we mean by wisdom. And so we spent all of January digging into the book of Proverbs. And likewise, we're going to spend February digging a little deeper into the book of Job. And today is our first look, our introduction to the book of Job as the second uh, central wisdom book in the Hebrew Bible. But before we do that, I want to ask that you just join with me in a word of prayer. Let's center our hearts and our minds together as we approach this passage today. Would you just join with me? God, we thank you so much for today, for this opportunity for us to gather in worship, to raise our voices, uh, to open our hearts and our minds to what you have to share with us. We ask that uh, you would connect us to each other in a meaningful way, even though we are dispersed and worshiping together online. For those of us who are uh, tuning in from all over San Diego County and even beyond Southern California, we ask that you would help us to be connected to each other, that you would help us to find ways to uh, walk our faith together relationally and to serve our communities together impactfully. Today we ask that as we open up this book of Job that you would begin to grow our hearts and minds into a deeper and more mature understanding of what it means to live out our faith. That we would become people of deeper wisdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, like I said, we're going to start off with the book of Job today, and uh, I want to begin just by reading the first couple of verses. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, uh, or you can pull it up on your phone, or if you're sitting at your laptop, you can always just pull it up online. It's Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. As usual, I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. That's the version that I typically prefer to read from. It begins Job chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this, There once was a man in the land of Uz named Job. I love the way this begins because it tells us right there at the outset that this book is going to tell us a story. There once was a man named Job. Sometimes when we read this book, I think we tend to get sucked into a perspective on Job that is overly literalistic. We forget that, like Proverbs, the book of Job is essentially an extended poem. But before we get into the poem, this incredibly long back-and-forth poetic dialogue between Job and his friends, we have this framing of Job's story here at the very beginning. There once was a man named Job, and that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. And right at the outset, the book of Job tells us that Job was the kind of man who probably read something like the book of Proverbs, or at least was exposed to a collection of wisdom, tradition, like the Proverbs, because here at the beginning it tells us that Job essentially follows the wisdom that Proverbs teaches. If you remember from our Proverbs uh, series, last month, Proverbs really begins by unpacking wisdom that represents the quote-unquote fear of the Lord. And here at the beginning, Job tells us that Job was the kind of man who had the fear of the Lord. And so we've wrestled a bit with what that means to be uh, fearful of God, especially as people who tend to think that God is not necessarily something that we should fear or that our faith should not be based in fear. This can be a difficult thing for us to wrestle with. And here it is at the outset, Job telling, or the book of Job telling us that Job the man feared God. Verse two, it continues, and there were born to him seven sons and three daughters, and he had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. In other words, Job was a rich successful, prosperous, well-respected person. The story essentially is setting up Job as somebody that we can find no real fault with. He followed all of God's commands and as a result became prosperous and wealthy and well-respected. Again, Job is set up right here at the beginning as a man who is a man after Proverbs' own heart, so to speak. Verse 4. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses in turn, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, quote, May it be that if my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, this will atone for them. This is what Job always did. This opening passage in the book of Job essentially sets Job up 
to be the kind of person who is utterly blameless. In fact, Job is so concerned with being good and right and true that he gets up every day and offers burnt offerings to God to atone not just for his own sins, not just to make up for his own faults or his own guilt, but Job is essentially working to cover the sins or the faults that his children might be committing. Job is committed to being the right kind of man. And of course, we know the rest of the story. We're going to get into the rest of the story throughout the rest of February, but you know the story. It begins by setting up Job as somebody who is utterly blameless, and from there, it just gets worse because Job will suffer greatly. And this is where Job begins to break from Proverbs. Proverbs, if you remember, essentially taught us that if we work hard, that if we're honest, that if we listen to wise people, then we will be good and prosperous and blessed in our lives. This is essential to Wisdom 101 or an an introduction to the notion of wisdom that the fear of the Lord that Proverbs talks about is essentially understood to be a fear of righteous consequences. It's the kind of healthy fear that keeps us out of trouble. The fear of the Lord is the fear that we experience when we see what's right and we see what's wrong and we learn to avoid what's wrong Because by avoiding it, then we don't get hurt and we don't hurt others. Proverbs is Wisdom 101, which tells us that if we touch a hot stove, we will get burned. If we run out into the middle of traffic, we might get run over. And therefore, we better do what's right and listen to people who come before us so that we can largely avoid suffering. Not just our own suffering. But if we are basically fundamentally wise human beings, then we not only avoid our own suffering, but we avoid causing other people to suffer. Proverbs is all about being decent human beings, which Job is. He's a decent human being. But the problem with Wisdom 101, the problem with Proverbs is that you don't have to live very long before you realize that following the rules and working hard and being honest and listening to the right people doesn't always keep you from suffering. The simple fact of life is that sometimes bad things happen to good people. Or maybe to put it more accurately, terrible things happen to people who aren't terrible. Even if you say, well, none of us are good, all of us have made mistakes, all of us have fallen short, fine, sure, good, but sometimes truly horrific things happen to people and those horrific things are not deserved, they are unwarranted. This is the struggle we have every time somebody we know who is a decent human being gets into an accident or suffers from a terrible terminal disease or suffers because of a natural disaster, we wonder, is this something that this person really deserved? If life is essentially a logical living out of those who are good, prospering and doing well, and those who are evil being punished, then how do we explain these terrible things that happen to people who have done nothing wrong? Even worse than that, or when terrible people prosper from doing terrible things. 
This is another complication we run into that seems to defy Proverbs and Wisdom 101, that the reality is, is that there are people in our lives who seem to take advantage of those of us who follow the rules, obey laws, and honor social conventions. It seems that more often than not, we see that people who are rich and prosperous and do well are the people who have learned to play the game, take shortcuts, and take advantage of those who are more sincere. When that happens, it can cause us to lose faith in this sort of logical, moral universe where those who are good are rewarded and those who are bad are punished. That's just simply not what happens in life. But usually the problems are more complex even than that. The truth is, is that life is more complicated than simply people who are good and people who are bad. And those who are bad taking advantage of those who are good. The truth is, life is full of a lot more complexity than that. I love uh, in this book, The Art of Being Human by Michael Wesch. He tells the story of Drs. Paul Farmer and Drs. Jim Kim, who were fighting to eradicate drug-resistant TB in Haiti in the 80s and 90s. The problem with drug-resistant TB in Haiti is that drug-resistant TB treatments were incredibly expensive, up to $60,000 per patient. And the success rates for treating them were virtually zero. As a result of that, the World Health Organization simply would not recommend those drug treatments for people in Haiti because it simply wasn't worth the expense. Doctors Farmer and Kim discovered a vicious cycle at the heart of the global health system. They discovered that because the drugs were so expensive, the WHO would not recommend them. And because the WHO would not recommend them, the generic drug manufacturers would not produce generic versions of these drugs. And because generic manufacturers would not produce generic versions of the drugs, the prices would not decrease. So Dr. Jim Kim took the lead on trying to break this vicious cycle. And as he did, he kept encountering the prevailing myth that the drugs were not being made available to people in Haiti because they were, quote, poor, and stupid and lazy. And this, of course, is the kind of bias and even racism and xenophobia that can be found in the overly simplistic conventional wisdom that we don't interrogate and question. It's easy to read the book of Proverbs and come away from it thinking that when people are poor or sick or marginalized, it's because of their own laziness, because of their own foolishness. But again, life is just not that simple. Dr. Paul Farmer refused to believe that the problem was simply that poor people weren't lazy because Paul Farmer lived with these people as a community health worker. He ate with them and was friends with them, traveled with them and suffered alongside of them in their difficult circumstances in literally the poorest nation on the planet. And he knew that they weren't lazy or stupid. They were incredibly hardworking and smart. And so he knew that there had to be more to it than just that. And so he began to expand his prescription 
for those in Haiti who suffered from drug-resistant TB. Instead of simply prescribing to them the drugs, he would also prescribe community health workers who would walk alongside them in their lives to understand the complicated difficulties of their poverty. And in addition to that, he did something else that was radical at the time. In addition to prescribing the drug for them, he also prescribed a $5 stipend because he recognized that they weren't lazy or stupid, that they simply, as people who are trapped in poverty, had to make decisions every day to prioritize their basic needs. The $5 stipend that he gave them allowed them to buy the food and the childcare that they needed so that they could take those drugs and take the time necessary to recuperate. Simply by recognizing that their poverty had created complicated circumstances, they increased the treatment success for drug-resistant TB to over 70% from virtually zero. Conventional wisdom was the barrier to solving this problem because it encouraged relief workers to conclude that the problem was laziness and stupidity, when in reality, it was that the system had created circumstances that were too difficult to overcome. This is how conventional wisdom fails us, and Job will introduce us to a new perspective on wisdom. Job introduces us to the complexity of life. Job recognizes that our obstacles and difficulties in life generally transcend simple prescriptions that assign stupid, stupidity or laziness or unworthiness to those who are poor and suffering and realizes that there are a lot more complicated factors at work in our world causing suffering. And so as a result, as Job introduces this complexity, as Job introduces the idea that there might be more to what's wrong in the world than simple laziness or stupidity, Job will stimulate disagreements. And that is exactly what we will see in this book. That Job doesn't just introduce us to complexity, Job also introduces us to the idea that genuine wisdom, genuine knowledge comes out of dialogue and disagreement and even debate. We will see throughout this book that Job and his friends will get into a very long extended debate about what it is that causes his suffering and God at the end gets included in that debate and we as the readers of this book are invited to take part in that debate as well. This is Wisdom 201. This is the next step up when we realize that the world and its difficulties, its unjust conditions are more complicated than the simple answers that we find in Proverbs. But this brings up a new fear. As we enter into the book of Job and we encounter a more complicated faith, a more complicated view of God, a more complicated approach to life, we will be faced with the fear that we are going to experience when we lose a sense of certainty. 
when we lose a sense of security because the simple, easy answers don't work anymore. And at the heart of that fear of losing security and simplicity is essentially the fear of losing control. Will we, as a result of that fear, retreat back into the simplicity of wisdom 101? When we encounter uncertainty, when we encounter debate even in our faith, when we encounter a more complex God and a more complex theology, will we run back and retreat into more simplistic answers? If we do, then history tells us that we end up doing more harm than good. So my invitation to you today as we enter into the book of Job is that you face that fear of uncertainty, that you face that fear of complexity, and that you embrace it, that you go with us for the next several weeks into a faith that acknowledges the complexity of these questions, and the difficulty of these answers. That we embrace a more advanced form of wisdom that wrestles with dialogue and debate and even disagreement in our midst. Because somewhere in there, in the midst of engaging with that dialogue, somewhere in the midst of engaging with a God who is more complicated than the simple answers of Proverbs, is, I promise you, an experience of a fresh new relationship with that God. That's what we'll find, I think, by the end of Job when we get there. We'll see that Job's embrace of a more complex God will deliver him into a newer and deeper and more mature relationship with God. And that's our invitation as well. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today, for how these words and this book will challenge us and invite us into a deeper, more grown-up expression of our faith. As we enter back into a time of worship and prayer, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to experiencing new perspectives of you and encountering you in fresh new ways in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name.